Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we learn how to serve and worship and glorify our God in heaven. Today's lesson is an exciting one, but a different one. We're going to learn the greatest story ever told, the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. However, instead of inviting you to open up your Bibles and follow along, I want to invite you to sit back and listen as I simply tell the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. If you'd like to know the references and the passages and the harmonizing of the Gospels that has brought this sermon about, you can also download the outline from our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Listen up, sit back, and learn the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. There are numerous kinds of stories. Some stories should be heard and some not. Some stories should be told once or twice and then forgotten, but there are other stories that should be told repeatedly, again and again and again. Some stories teach, some stories entertain, some stories inspire, some intend to do all three. This morning, I just want to tell you a story. It's a familiar story to most of us, and yet it is the most powerful story that has ever been told. It's a story that we need to learn, we need to memorize it, and we need to repeat it often. We need to teach it to our children that they might repeat it. We need to teach it to one another. We need to say it over and over and over again. Because the story that we're going to hear this morning is the reason for everything that we do. This story is the reason that you and I are here this morning. I want us to tell the story of Jesus, of His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And as we tell this story, I'm going to do something just a little bit different than I normally do. I have outlines prepared, if you want some, that have all the verses that the story will be coming from. But this morning, I just want us to hear the story again. We're not going to have any slides to distract us, no page turning, and, and I'm not even going to try to tell you all the lessons I think we ought to learn from this story. I think we simply need to hear this story now and again and remember how amazing it is. Our story begins nearly 2,000 years ago. It was a day of memorial. It was a day of celebration. Jews from all over the known world had gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Passover. They were remembering what God had done for them 1,500 years earlier as He delivered them from Egyptian bondage. While there, they would kill the Passover lamb and spill its blood out onto the ground in order to remember that lamb who shed blood 1,500 years earlier were sprinkled on their ancestors' doorposts. And because of that shed blood, God passed over their houses and spared their firstborn children. But he slew the children of Israel and the child of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh let God's people go. 
And as they gathered there on that day, nearly 2,000 years ago, they would remember the great power of God's deliverance as He had sent the plagues upon Egypt, as He took them through the Red Sea. And many of them would pray that God would again rise up and demonstrate His power and deliver His people once again from the Roman oppression and slavery that they were now under. On that day of celebration and memorial, Jesus and His disciples also gathered, as the law said, in Jerusalem. And they were participating in the memorial. But as Jesus hosted that memorial Passover meal, He did not pray that God would bring deliverance for Israel from Rome. Instead, He indicated a greater deliverance was coming. The deliverance from the bondage of a greater oppressor. Deliverance from sin. And He didn't just tell the disciples this was what was going to happen. He established it by, within this Passover meal, establishing another memorial. The Lord's Supper. And as they were gathered, Jesus took the unleavened bread and He broke it and He handed it to the disciples and He said to them, Take, eat. This is My body given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And they ate it. And when they were done, He took the fruit of the vine, having already divided it up among them. And He said to them, Drink from it, all of you. This is My blood of the covenant, given for many for the remission of sins. As often as you do this, drink it in remembrance of Me. But I tell you, that I will not drink of it again with you until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After He was done with the supper, having established this memorial, Jesus then got down on His hands and knees, girded Himself about with a towel, and washed His disciples' feet. Can you imagine that? teaching His disciples the kind of service that we ought to render to one another if He was willing to serve us. And then He said something shocking. One of you will betray Me. The men couldn't fathom this. They couldn't understand that one of their own number would betray Him and then it would cause His death. And so they began to ask, Surely it is not I, even the one who would betray Him, said, Surely it's not I. But Jesus indicated to them who it would be by taking a piece of the bread and dipping it in the herbs that were there with the Passover meal and handing it to Judas Iscariot. And he looked at Judas and he said, What you do, do quickly. The other apostles didn't understand what Jesus had indicated. But can you imagine what was going on in Judas' mind as he got up and left? Certainly he knew that Jesus knew what was in his heart but he left and did it anyway. After Judas left, Jesus began to teach the other apostles. He talked to them about the Holy Spirit that would come to them, that would guide them on all truth, that would convict them and the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. 
He began to teach them about the fruit-bearing life that a true disciple would have, and then he prayed for them. We often call it the high priestly prayer. He prayed that they would be strengthened. He prayed that they would be united. He prayed that they would proclaim him in his word, and then he prayed that everyone who believed on him through their word, guess who that is? He was praying for us. He prayed that we would be united as he and his father are united. And then they sang a hymn, and they departed to the Mount of Olives. When they got to the Mount of Olives, Jesus once again shocked the disciples. He had already told them that one of them would betray Him. But then He turned to the disciples and He said, You shall all fall away because of Me tonight. As it is written, I shall strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But nevertheless, when I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. The men were incensed at this. They couldn't believe it. There was no way. They believed this Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah that God had promised. They were certain that He was going to deliver them from the Roman oppression. And they all cried out against this, We'll not fall. We'll stand beside you. We'll even die for you. Peter stood out head and shoulders above the rest saying, I will never fall. Everybody else might fall, Lord, but not me. I'll die with you. But Jesus warned him that that very night, not only would he fall away and be scattered among the rest, he would verbally deny Jesus three times. And then they crossed over into a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus asked eight of the disciples to stay behind, and he took three of them, Peter, James, and John, a little bit further into the garden. He said he was going to go to pray. Then he turned to his inner circle of disciples and said, I want you to stay here. Pray that you don't enter temptation. And he went a little bit further into the garden. And he cried out to his father, Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And he walked back to his disciples. And they were sleeping. And Jesus rebuked them, Could you not watch with me and pray? Watch and pray that you not enter temptation. Two more times, he went further into the garden repeating his prayer. And two more times he went back to the apostles and they were asleep. But at that moment, Judas arrived in the garden. He wasn't alone, however. He brought with him representatives of the priests and the Jewish council. He brought representatives from the Pharisees. And he brought Roman soldiers. A great crowd with clubs and with swords and Judas had told them, whoever I kiss, he's the one. Can you hear the sadness in Jesus' voice as Judas kissed him? And Jesus said, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? 
Peter, having just hours before declared his loyalty to Christ, saying that he was willing to die with him, was ready to make good his promise. He pulled out his sword and he struck the high priest's servant, Malchus, and cut off his ear. He was certain, surely this is the time the Messiah will reveal Himself. He'll wipe out His enemies and He will come forth and He'll deliver His people and I'll be at His side. But that's not what the Messiah did. Instead, the Messiah rebuked Peter. Put your sword away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Do you not know that my Father could send legions of angels to deliver me. But all of this must happen that the Scripture be fulfilled. And amazingly, in an amazing sign of mercy, what a foreshadowing of the story that we're telling. Jesus took the ear and healed Malchus. But the men grabbed him and bound him anyway. And they carried him off to Annas, the father-in-law of the high priest. Annas had, in fact, been the high priest until the Roman authorities removed him. Caiaphas, his son-in-law, had become the high priest recognized by the Roman authorities. But the Jews continued to recognize Annas as the power behind the priesthood. In fact, they continued to recognize him as the high priest. Jesus was taken bound to Annas, and Annas began to question him. And Jesus said, why question me? Why not question those I've been teaching? And one of the officers that were near him began the beatings as he struck Jesus for answering the high priest in this way. And Jesus said to him, If I've done wrong, testify to the wrong I've done. But if not, why do you strike me? At this point, Annas sent Jesus on to his son-in-law, the legal high priest Caiaphas, and the council of the Jews. When they got there in the very early hours of the morning, they had drummed up false testifiers. False witnesses. But their testimony could not be corroborated. They, even though they had orchestrated this whole thing, the testimonies conflicted and contradicted. And finally, in desperation, Caiaphas, looking at Jesus, placed him under oath and said, I adjure you by the living God. Are you the Christ or not? Jesus, having been placed under oath, according to the old law, broke his silence. And he said... You have said it. Nevertheless, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God with power. The priest and the council tore their robes and they accused Him of blasphemy. And indeed, it would have been blasphemy except for the fact that it was true. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And having latched a hold of this that they considered blasphemy, they sentenced him to death. And they began to beat him. They mocked him. They spit on him. They blindfolded him. And while he was blindfolded, they would slap him in the face and say, Prophesy to us! Who struck you? And then when they had had their fun with Jesus, they sent him to Pilate. And the Roman trials began. Jesus hadn't been before Pilate for very long before Pilate realized that, why, this man is from Galilee. 
not wanting to deal with the internal affairs of the Jews, he blew them off and sent them to Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee, so that he could deal with it. Herod had wanted to see Jesus for some time because, number one, he was afraid that this Jesus whom he had heard so much about was actually John the Baptist, whom Herod had killed, risen from the dead. And secondly, because he wanted to see a miracle. But when Jesus came before him and Herod began to question, Jesus remained silent. And there were no miracles. And so Herod, in disgust, along with his soldiers, ridiculed and mocked Jesus. They placed a gorgeous robe on him and they sent him back to Pilate. Pilate began to question Jesus, but he could find nothing seditious in Jesus' responses or his answers, his replies. And so he rebuked the Israelites, saying, what do you want me to do with him? What evil has he done? And they said, he has made himself out to be the king of the Jews. And so Pilate questioned him regarding this, and Jesus responded, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my disciples would stand up and fight so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And through that, he indicated to Pilate that Pilate and Caesar had nothing to fear from him regarding their political places in the world. And so again, Pilate attempted to release him. He suggested, I'll just punish him and let him go. But the Jews would not hear of it. In addition to seeing Jesus' innocence, Pilate was a little worried about dealing with this Jesus because his wife had sent him a message. It had nothing to do with this man, for I have suffered greatly in a dream because of him. Being a superstitious Roman, he wanted nothing to do with this man. And so he came up with another plan. He had recognized that the leaders of the Jews had simply offered up Jesus because of their envy. And so he provided a choice to the masses. It was his custom during the Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread to release to them one of the Jewish prisoners. And so he gave them a choice. On one side of the block was Barabbas, a robber, a convicted insurrectionist, and a murderer. And on the other side was Jesus the peaceful and perfect teacher of God's will. Which one would you choose to be released? But Pilate underestimated the envy of the Jewish leaders because they were able to go and stir up the Jews to ask for Barabbas. Barabbas, they cried. Release Barabbas! What should I do with Jesus? Crucify Him! Crucify Him! They cried repeatedly. And Pilate, seeing that there was no way that he could release Jesus without causing a riot, did what they asked. And delivered Jesus to be scourged and crucified. But first, in order to indicate the fact that he saw Jesus as innocent, he brought out a basin of water and ceremonially washed his hands and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. And the Jews cried out, His blood be on our heads and on our children. And Jesus sent him off to be scourged. 
A scourge was a dreadful sort of whip. It had a short handle, and attached to it were several heavy strips of leather. At the end of those strips of leather would be hard balls. That as they were brought down upon the skin, they would bruise the skin, and then come down again and break those bruises and bruise it even deeper until the muscles were broken. But in addition to that, many of these scourges along the leather strips would have sharp stones, pieces of glass, and shards of pottery. And they would take Jesus into the place of scourging. They would bind His hands above His head and hang Him so that His feet were just barely touching the ground so that His skin would be stretched and tight and taut. And as that scourge came down upon His back again and again and again and again and again and again, those straps would wrap around His body and that glass and those stones and those shards of pottery would grab the skin and rip it from the flesh. And when they were done, His chest, His back, His legs would be unrecognizable. Ribbons of flesh and muscle hanging from His body. Blood streaming. But when they let Jesus down, that wasn't enough for the Roman soldiers. They decided that in this pitiful condition was a wonderful way to make fun of our Lord and Savior. And they fashioned a crown made out of thorns. And they shoved it on His head. And then they draped a purple robe around His shoulders. They put a reed in His hand. And they bowed before Him. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And then they grabbed the reed and they started striking him on the head, driving that crown of thorns deeper and deeper into his scalp. And then they brought him back to Pilate. And it seems that Pilate tried one more time to get the Jews to release him. And they said, We have a law. And now our law says he should die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. This frightened Pilate. Again, Pilate, a superstitious Roman, he believed that the gods might come down to the earth. And so he questioned Jesus further. Where are you from? Are you a son of the gods? Are you from heaven? And he tried even more at this point to release Jesus with greater efforts, but the Jews would have nothing to do with that. And he brought Jesus before them again one more time to declare his innocence. And he said to them, Behold your king! And the Jews cried out, Away with Him! Away with Him! Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. And so at that point, Pilate sent Him on to be crucified. And they took this robe that by now had been matted to his body as the body tried to begin its healing process. And they ripped that from him, reopening those wounds that were beginning to heal as best they could. And as they let him out, he was to bear his own cross, but having suffered so greatly from the flailing he had received, he was unable to 
bear the cross. And so they grabbed the man from the crowd and they pulled him out and his name was Simon. He was from Cyrene. And they made him carry the cross of Jesus behind him. And as they were walking from the place of judgment to the place of death, there was a great crowd that was following and there were women lamenting and mourning. And Jesus turned to them and said, Stop weeping for me. Weep for yourselves. For the time is coming when they will say, Blessed are those who are barren, and the wombs that never bore children, and the breasts that never nursed. Because the time will come when they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. Because if this is what they do when the tree is green, what will they do when it is dry? And he indicated to them once again that God was going to destroy Jerusalem because they were rejecting Him. They made it to Golgotha, a place of the skull. And the soldiers, perhaps out of a slight amount of pity, offered to Jesus a concoction of wine and gall or myrrh. This was a cocktail that would dull the senses and lessen some of the extreme pain that he was going to endure during the crucifixion. But Jesus refused it. He chose rather to have a clear mind than dull senses. And then they grabbed Jesus and they threw Him down on the ground on the cross. And they took His hand. And they placed a spike right at the base of it and drove that through his wrist. And then the other hand. And they took his feet and they placed one on top of the other and drove one spike through the arches of his feet into the wood. And they picked up the cross and they dropped it into the hole in the ground. And there they crucified Him. It was the third hour of the day according to Jewish reckoning. That would be 9 a.m. according to ours. It's not enough for us to simply say that they crucified Jesus. I'd like to read to you. Perhaps you've heard this before, but I'd like to read it again. What a physician says describing what was going on in this crucifixion. As Jesus slowly sagged down with more weight on the nails and the wrists, excruciating, fiery pain shot along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails and the wrists were putting pressure on the median nerve, large nerve trunks which traversed the mid-wrist and hand. As he pushed himself upward to avoid the stretching torment, he placed his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there was searing agony as the nail tore through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of his feet. At this point, another phenomenon occurred. As the arms fatigued, great waves of cramps swept over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps came the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by the arms, the pectoral muscles, the large muscles of the chest were paralyzed, and the intercostal muscles, the small muscles between the ribs, were unable to act. Air could be drawn in, but could not be exhaled. Jesus fought to raise Himself in order to get even one short breath. Pilate had placed an inscription above Jesus that said, Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. The priest cried out to Him, Don't write King of the Jews! For He said, I am King of the Jews. But Pilate said, What I have written, I have written. 
at the foot of the cross, the soldiers who had placed him there had taken his outer garments off of him, and in accordance with prophecy, they began to cast lots for his clothing. As if the spectacle of Jesus beaten and battered with this fake crown on his head hanging on the cross was not enough, the Jews at the foot of the cross began to hurl abuse at him. They said things like, you who are going to tear down the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. He said he was king of the Jews. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe him. He saved others. He can't save himself. If he's the Son of God, come down from that cross and prove it. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him. But in response to all of that, Jesus, as He hung there sagging on the cross, pushed Himself up. And in that moment of agony and gasping for breath, said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And in those moments when Jesus could draw enough strength in His body to lift up and catch that breath, He made six other brief statements. Looking at the crowd, he saw his mother standing beside the disciple whom he loved, John. And he pushed up. And he said, Mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to John, Son, behold your mother. And he indicated to John that he wanted him to take care of his mother Mary. And John did that from that moment on. While the Jews and even one of the thieves were hurling abuse at Jesus, one of the thieves realized the truth of the situation. He recognized that this man Jesus is not dying because of a crime or because of a sin. He's dying innocently. He's dying unjustly. And he rebuked the other thief. And he said, and he turned to Jesus, and and I want you to realize how amazing this is. Only one person other than Jesus in all the world that day saw Jesus as a king and believed that Jesus was going to come in his kingdom. And it was the other man on the cross being crucified. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus pushed through the agony one more time and said, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amazing. While all of this was taking place for three hours, Jesus hung there in torment and agony. And after three hours at noon, the sun was veiled with the darkness and remained that way for another three hours to three o'clock. And at about the ninth hour, having hung on the cross for six hours, having endured the darkness for three, Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani! Which is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he indicated the true sacrifice on that cross. Because you see, Jesus was not just enduring physical torment, he was enduring a spiritual torment. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, who had had a fellowship with the Father far greater than we've ever known that we can't even fathom, was separated from his God and his Father on the cross. 
because He bore in His body our sins on that cross. And yet, the physical torment continued. Dr. Truman, our physician, goes on to say, he suffered hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, and searing pain as tissue was torn from his lacerated back, from his movement up and down against the rough timbers of the cross. Then another agony began, a deep crushing pain in the chest as the pericardium, the sac surrounding the heart, slowly filled with serum and began to compress the heart. The end was rapidly approaching. The loss of tissue fluids had reached a critical level. The compressed heart was struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood to the tissues, and the tortured lungs were making a frantic effort to inhale small gulps of air. The markedly dehydrated tissues sent their flood of stimuli to the brain, and Jesus pushed himself up one more time and said, I am thirsty. And so they brought him some sour wine to drink. Recognizing that his work was at completion, he pushed himself up two more times and cried out in a loud voice as loud as his defeated and broken and battered body could handle. It is finished. And my Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last and he gave up his spirit. I want you to notice that. He yielded up His Spirit. No one took it from Him. He gave it up willingly of His own initiative and His own authority. And He did that, brethren, for us. At that moment, a great earthquake occurred. Amazing things happened. Tombs were opened and those who had been dead were raised and walked in the city and people saw them. At the same moment, the temple veil between the holy place and the most holy place ripped from top to bottom. You see, Jesus had gone into the true tabernacle, the true temple of God, made by God, not made by men with their hands. And He had gone into the presence of the Father and had made that eternal, lasting atonement in the presence of God the Father. And this man-made temple with its divided areas of holy place and most holy place were no longer needed as He brought us into the presence of God. A centurion at the base of the cross witnessing these things said, certainly, this was an innocent man. Truly, this was the Son of God. The next day was the Sabbath and was going to be a high Sabbath. That is, the very first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was going to fall on the same day as the weekly Sabbath. And so the Jews went to Pilate making a special request. They didn't want the folks hanging on the cross over the Sabbath. And so they asked him if they could break the criminal's legs. And he sent the soldiers to do it. They would break the legs because that would keep them from being able to push up and breathe in the air. And they would die quickly from asphyxiation. But when they got to Jesus, he was already dead. But one of the soldiers wanted to make sure he grabbed a spear and he shoved it into the side of Jesus and outflowed water and blood because that spear had gone up into the sack that surrounded the heart and then into the heart itself. Jesus was dead. Joseph of Arimathea, a very wealthy Jew, a member of the council that had not gone along with this execution plot, had been a secret disciple of Jesus and he finally stepped up to the plate and he went to Pilate and asked a very special request. You see, most 
criminals that were crucified were just cast into a pit, a mass grave. But Joseph asked that he could have this body of Jesus, that he could bury it in his own tomb. And so Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took the body of Jesus. You remember Nicodemus, the member of the council who questioned Jesus early in his ministry by night? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took his body, wrapped it in linen wrappings, perfumed it and spiced it up, embalming it, and put it into this tomb. And there were some women who had followed Jesus that followed along behind them. And they made their decision that following the Sabbath day, they were going to do a more thorough and complete job of embalming their master and their teacher. The Sabbath day came, and the Pharisees and the priests came to Pilate and said, You know, we remember that this guy Jesus told his disciples he was going to be resurrected on the third day. Not that we believe it, of course. However, we sure would hate for the disciples to steal the body and start teaching he was resurrected because that would be worse than if we had just let him live. Can we have a guard to set by the tomb? And Pilate said, yes. And so they took the Roman guard and they set it around the tomb and they sealed the tombstone and the Sabbath day ended. But early the next morning, the first day of the week, the women had gathered together, they had gathered their spices and they were heading toward the tomb to embalm the body of Jesus. And they were worried. What are we going to do about this huge stone that's in front of the door? However, while they were on their way, a great earthquake occurred because an angel of God had descended from heaven, had removed the stone and sat on it. The soldiers, as you can imagine, were scared to death and in fact became as dead men. When the women arrived at the tomb, all they saw was the open tomb with the stone rolled away. Mary Magdalene, fearing the worst, immediately took off to gather the apostles. She found Peter and John and said, They've taken the Master! Peter and John get up and run to the tomb. John got there first, but he only looked in. Peter walked in with him. Peter walked in. And John followed him. They saw an amazing thing. If somebody actually stole the body of Jesus, they unwrapped him first. Why would they do that? But in this time that Mary had gone to get Peter and John, the other women had stayed behind at the tomb and they walked in. And there they saw the angels. The angel said to him, What are you looking for Jesus here for? He's not here. He's not dead. His body hasn't been stolen. He's resurrected. Go find the apostles and those that are with him and tell them to go to Galilee as Jesus had directed them and they will get to see him there. And so the women had run off to find and gather the apostles and the disciples. Peter and John came after they left. And they left. But Mary stayed behind, weeping outside the tomb. And she stooped down and looked in. And when she looked in, she saw the angels. And the angel said, Woman, why are you weeping? And Mary said, because they've taken my master, and I don't know where they've laid him. And she turned around, and she saw Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. And Jesus asked her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? She thought he was the gardener, and she said, sir, if you had taken his body, just show me where he is, and I'll take him away. And then Jesus, looking at her, said, Mary. 
And her eyes were opened and she saw her Master and her Savior and she cried out, Rabboni! Which means teacher. And Jesus, after speaking with her, told her, go gather the apostles and tell them what you have seen. And what an amazing thing that Mary Magdalene would be the first to see and worship the risen Savior. Not one of the apostles. Not one of those who would become great evangelists. Not one of those who would be deacons. But a woman from whom seven demons had been cast out was the first to see Him. And the story didn't end there. Just moments following, Jesus also appeared to the other women as they were on their way to gather the disciples. He appeared to two on the road to Emmaus, a village about seven miles away from Jerusalem. He appeared to Simon Peter. He appeared to all the apostles that day with the exception of Thomas. And in the 40 days that followed, He appeared to all of the apostles, including Thomas. He appeared to James, Jesus' brother, His brother, and even appeared to more than 500 brethren at once. And over those 40 days in Galilee, He taught His apostles about His coming kingdom. And then they returned to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus was ascended to His throne at the right hand of God. And that is where He is to this day. Reigning as our King. And brethren, that is why we are here today. I know the approach of today's lesson was just a little bit different, but I hope it was edifying to you and beneficial to simply hear the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Again, if you would like to have the harmonizing of the Gospels and all the passages and references that brought this story together, you can go to our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com and you can download the outline of this sermon. That includes all the references and all the passages that this story came from. If you have any questions about Jesus, about His death and burial and resurrection, about how we can participate in the sacrifice that He offered, please contact us by calling 615-794-2359. Or you can contact us through our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. If someone gave you this lesson, let me encourage you to come to our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. You can download numerous lessons that we have there in outline format and audio format. Use them in whatever way you believe will glorify God and help people serve Him. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.